Proverbs chapter 26 tonight. Uh, another one of those amazing Proverbs. Talks a lot about the fool, to be honest. And so I know uh, that when I think of my own life apart from Jesus Christ, I, I know that would be descriptive of me. Uh, the fool, the one who would lose in every area of life. You know, when I think of uh, these Proverbs, to be honest, I think a lot of the families, the ministries, the opportunities, the responsibilities, and how I would fail in all these areas of life. But God has given me his word, he's given me his spirit, and he's called me to a life of wisdom. And so my prayer is that we would thrive, that I would thrive in those areas of family and ministry and opportunity and responsibility. Because I, I know for... You know, a lot of us here, I mean, the family is huge, the marriages, the children, and how we need to make sure that we live life according to God's wisdom. And so uh, let's open our hearts. We read here in Proverbs 26 and verse 1 something very important. It says, As snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. And then we read something similar in verse 8. It says, like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. And so uh, verse 1 is talking about snow in summer and uh, rain in harvest. And so in one sense, those are things that are unusual. Uh, they're inappropriate. Uh, to be honest, rain in harvest can actually be uh, potentially damaging to the crops and so uh, we're not supposed to. It's inappropriate. It can be even damaging to give honor to a fool. And it's very important for us to understand that. You know, I feel like we have failed big time in this area as a society because we honor a, a lot of times these athletes or these celebrities. And in all reality, they're not worthy of that type of honor. They're not worthy to be put up on a pedestal just because they win um, you know Grammys or Emmys or trophies you know for us I pray that we would understand that the ones that we honor are the ones that are honorable not the ones who are going around and sleeping around and they're having these adulterous affairs and doing all that kind of crazy stuff I mean they live lifestyles that are completely contrary to the scriptures and we esteem them we honor them I mean, absolutely not. You know, it, it's, it's interesting how in the Bible times it says it's like snow in, in summer. It's like rain in harvest. It, in one sense, it was unusual in Bible times, but I feel like we're living in a day now where it's usual, where many of these heroes that we've esteemed, unfortunately, are not honorable. And so the damage it does is that we start, you know, lifting them up. Next thing you know, our young people are following them. And so we need to teach our kids, we need to teach the young people to honor those who are worthy of honor. Because verse 8, it says that if, if we're like uh, that, the world honoring the dishonorable, it's like a stone that's it's tied into a sling, and you go ahead and you swing it around, it's going to come back and it's going to bonk you in the head. And so God help us to, to only honor those who are honorable. Verse 2, it says, like a, a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. 
And so he, he mentions a couple of birds here that they're those birds that kind of bounce around, they fly around. They're not like the ones that are streamlined, you know, um, the eagle or the even sometimes we see these birds, the crow, they're just going straight. No, these are like more like the, the sparrow or the hummingbird, and they're just uh, all over the place. And what the Bible says is that if someone tries to curse you, this, this curse that's undeserved without cause, it will not alight. And especially for us as Christians, we, we need to understand that God has blessed us and he can't reverse that, that, that blessing, you know, when we have our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking about the Old Testament example of how the king of Moab, Balak, he hired Balaam to curse the children of Israel. And here's this guy, and, and he's a mysterious guy, Balaam. He did have this uh, prophetic word, and so he goes, he, got, he wants to get money, and he's looking at Israel, and he tries to curse them three times, and every single time God shuts him down. As a matter of fact, uh, Balaam eventually realized that they couldn't curse the people. It says in Numbers chapter 23, verse 8, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? And so Balaam could not curse God's people. And we read why in Deuteronomy chapter 23 in verse 5, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. And so for us, it, it's kind of cool just to know that we cannot be cursed. They can't put a hex on us. They can't get one of those dolls and stick pins into it and think it's going to affect us. Why? Because the Lord our God, he loves us. And so we read that here in the Proverbs. I remember reading a story about this one young new believer who went to church and spent some time with the pastor and as they were there in the church building, a, a guy came in, and uh, he was from that group uh, called the Moonies. The Moonies are, are a cult. They follow a young, a guy named Sun Young Moon, who claims to be the Christ and who thinks his wife is the Holy Spirit. Kind of a, a weird uh, doctrine in, in many ways, but you know they were going back and forth, the pastor with this guy, until eventually, at the end of the conversation, the pastor said, "Hey, can I pray with you?" And the Mooney guy said, on one condition is after I, you, you know, you pray with me that you let me pray with you. And the pastor, knowing the power of his prayer would prevail over anything this guy had to say, said, sure. And so the pastor prayed a great prayer. And then what happened, according to this new believer guy, he said that the Mooney uh, guy uh, did his thing and it was weird and he spoke in different languages and he just felt, you know, kind of like weird afterwards. He said, what if that guy, you know, placed like a curse on me? And then, you know, he came to this scripture and, it's, you know, these passages and numbers and Deuteronomy and even here in the Proverbs. And he realized, you know what? I, I can't be cursed because the Lord, my God, he loves me. So good things uh, to know. You don't have to be afraid. Um and then verse 3, it says, A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. And so, you know, we don't want to be stubborn like a donkey. We don't want to be wild like those horses out there. We want to be broken of our will. You know, we want God to, to be the one to, to tame us, and we want to be obedient to him. Um, unfortunately, what happens is the fool 
he ends up uh, experiencing the rod of God on his back <coughs> because he's not willing to yield himself to the Lord. And so what God is saying right here, a couple of things. Number one, he's saying, don't, um, this is the way it is, of course, the way it is for horses and mules and fools. But I think he's also saying, hey, don't let that be you. You, you don't need to be beat down. You don't need to be beat up or, or locked up in order to grow up. As a matter of fact, there's a really cool psalm in Psalm 32, one of my favorite psalms. And the Bible says that he will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. He will guide you with his eye. That's what the promise is according to the scriptures. And so as far as, you know, God guiding us, he wants to teach us his word. He wants to instruct us in the scriptures. It's interesting how God says, I will lead you biblically. And this is why it's so important, you guys, that you continue to study the word knowing that it's not in vain. Uh, some of you guys sitting in service, some of the people out there, uh, they're uh, faithfully listening on live stream. Uh, you guys are reading your Bibles in the morning. You're maybe reading your Proverbs or Psalms or you're just saturating yourself in the scriptures. God says, I promise I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And so there's this biblical guidance, but there's also this personal guidance where he says there in Psalm 32 verse 8, and I will guide you with my eye. And, and I think in, in one sense, what the Lord is saying is I'm looking on you and I'm looking on your future and I see everything. And so what God is saying is let me lead you biblically. Let me lead you personally. And as that happens, uh, it's a lot different than, than the horse and the mule. As a matter of fact, it says there in Psalm 32 verse Verse 9, don't be like the horse and the mule. They need the, the harness uh, upon their life. They need to kind of be forced into it or else they'll never come near you. And so my prayer is that we would learn uh, from these Proverbs, uh, not a whip, not, not a bridle, not a rod, but just God, just God's word leading us and guiding us as his children. Uh, verse 4, Proverbs 26, it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Verse 12 is kind of related. It says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And so like I said earlier, a lot of this uh, proverb has to do with the fool and dealing with the guy and what we're supposed to pity the fool, right? I mean, what an awful life to live. Like I said earlier, ruining your, your family, your responsibility, your opportunity, sometimes your ministry. You have these guys with this amazing calling on their life and they just flush it all down the toilet for some sexual sin or drug or whatever lifestyle that they end up going sideways on. You know, and so the, the fool, we're talking about that in the proverb, but, but right here he says, but if you see someone who's wise in their own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than there is for him. And so God help us to protect ourselves from ever uh, thinking that we no longer need to be taught, you know, um, that we know it all. You know, here we see some interesting passages that I think the Lord wants to share with us when to speak and when not to speak 
in order to protect people from coming to that place in their life. And verse 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. And verse 5, it says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now some, when they read that, they, they think, well, is there a contradiction in the Bible? And, and basically, um, whenever you come across things that you're like, man, that looks like they're teaching different things, the rule of interpretation is whenever you see two verses that seem to contradict, you seek a higher unity. And of course, we know that they don't uh, even for sure because they're here they are side by side and there's some different nuances within each one. At the end of the day, I, I think we've all learned this in life that uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in verse 7, it says there's a time to be silent and there's a time to speak. And only the Holy Spirit can give us the wisdom as far as when that happens. I think, I, I know in my own life, I've probably made way, way, way too many mistakes as far as speaking when I shouldn't have spoken. Uh, I think that uh, the Bible says that every man be quick to hear, um, and slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. You know, we've got to listen, listen, listen before we speak. And when we do speak, make sure that those are words that God's called us to speak. You know, if someone were to say to me, hey, Manny, you're a jerk. You know, that's a fool. I could sink down to their level and I could say, well, you're a jerk too. But verse 4 says, no, nah, don't do that. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. But if someone were to say, hey, you know, God's a jerk, then that's different. Then I would have to kind of go toe-to-toe -to -toe with this individual, especially if it's in the context of a crowd and someone is listening. You know, there's a distinction between what's known as a foolish comment and erroneous ideas. For example, you know, uh, someone might say, well, I really prefer the, the King James, you know, and that might be their preference, and I won't say anything. But let's just say they're one of those that starts teaching and people are listening. Hey, King James only, King James only. Then I have to deal uh, with the issues. So sometimes you have to uh, react. I know that I was thinking about Paul the Apostle in the church in Corinth. And the setting there was basically as Paul had planted the church, others came after him and they started basically taking away the church and telling the people in the congregation that Paul really wasn't all that, that he wasn't really an apostle and that he wasn't worthy of their you know, spiritual leadership. And so Paul had to actually then deal with them in that context. You know, they were saying, hey, we have the credentials to lead you. And Paul now, uh, when you read the scriptures, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul now had to answer the fool according to their folly um, and tell them about the fact that he was worthy to lead them. And what Paul ends up doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and then in chapter 12 is he actually starts kind of boasting about the ministry. But it's interesting the way that he boasts about them. He says, you know, I am worthy to be your leader because I've suffered, because I've sacrificed, because I've been, you know, stoned, because I've been shipwrecked. He began to tell them, boasting about the way 
that he had labored for them in the Lord. And then when you read the next chapter in chapter 12, he actually talked about uh, the visions and the way he was caught up to the third heaven. And so it's interesting, though, because you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, Paul said, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. And so uh, no one ever wants to to boast or brag in any way, but Paul, in one sense, was forced to do that, and that's an example of you know us answering a fool according to their folly, lest they be wise in their own eyes. Verse 6, it says, He who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like the legs of the lame that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. And so we've got to keep the context here. Remember in those days, they didn't have uh, telephones. They didn't have text messaging. Uh, they didn't even really have like what we would call the, the postal service, so to speak. Uh, you would literally, if you wanted to take a message, you know, from here to the other city over there, you would have to send it at the hands of a runner, the hands of a messenger. And so what we're, what we're seeing right here is you would never uh, give that heavy responsibility to a fool. I mean, if you do, you're, you're cutting off your own feet. You're, you're drinking violence. Trying to get a message to someone through a fool, uh, understand it. It's not going to get delivered properly. It does damage to self. And I was thinking about how crazy it would be. Imagine if you were text messaging something to someone and imagine your carrier decided to, to kind of change it all up and rather than texting what you wanted them to text, uh, they said something completely different. And so that's why it's important for us to make sure that we, when we're sending messengers, that we send those who are, are wise. Because that's my you know, representation. That's my delegation. That's my communication. And it's a heavy responsibility. I, I was even thinking as a side note how in one sense we're living in a country that is supposed to be filled with lawmakers and legislators and judges and politicians who are representatives of us. There are, there's that representation form of government. And so we want to do our best to make sure that we elect individuals who we know uh, will be wise in that office. You know, verse 7 and verse 9, they kind of tell us that effectiveness in the message is not only the content of what they're saying, but it's also the character of the one saying it. You know, it's not simply what they say, but it is who says it. And so that's why it's important uh, for pastors and even for us as Christians as we're sharing a message to make sure that we do our best. None of us are perfect, but we do our best to live the life because when we're speaking, all that is part of the message. Verse 10, it says, The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. Now, verse 10, when you look at different translations, there, there's a lot of variances here, but we have the New King James, and it's an amazing message that we have. You know, the God who, who formed everything 
think about it, he gives the fool his job, he gives the transgressor the things that he needs as well. And what we as Bible uh, students learn is that there's this thing called common grace where the Lord, he makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust and he gives us the things that we need. And it's so important for us to understand that everything comes from his hand. And I pray that we would live a life of gratitude. Verse 11 says, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen a dog uh, lick up their own vomit. Uh, I remember the first time I saw my dog do that, I, I just grossed out. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is, you know, just like the Bible says, you know. And you have some people, and this is crazy. When you read this passage as quoted in Second Peter uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 22, it talks about these Christians. It talks about these people who actually escaped the pollutions of the world. I mean, I, I believe that they came, you know, to know the Lord. But what ends up happening is they actually went back into the world. And what Peter is saying and what we're reading here in the proverb, it's like an individual going back to their own vomit. You know, not every false prophet had a false start. You know, some of these guys, they, they started out okay, but somewhere along the way, uh, something got to them, and they ended up going sideways. And so for us as, as Christians, uh, it's a heavy warning for us. You know, you might uh, uh, be born again, and you, you feel like you're good, and, but the next thing you know, you're, you're not in the Word. You're not really in prayer. You're not really uh, in fellowship. You're not really serving the Lord. And it, it, it just usually happens. The principle is if you're not growing forward, you're going backwards. And, you know, for us, especially in the days that we're living in right now, man, I just want to encourage you, be so careful, man. You know, that, that you used to, you know, do those things before you're a Christian. Then when you came to the Lord, you, you dropped them and like a bad habit because that's exactly what they were. But then you start going back to those things. And, uh, and what we're reading in the Proverbs and the wisdom of God is not just a statement of fact, like this is what they do, but it's a statement of God saying, please, don't do this. I believe with all my heart that if we're Christians, we should always be growing because if not, we're going to end up going backwards. Sandy Adams said, a man who does not add to his faith will return to his sin. Verse 13, it says, The lazy man says, There is a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. Verse 15, The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. And then verse 16, The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And so one of the things that we've learned in the Proverbs for sure is just the value of a hard work ethic and just the danger, um, the craziness of laziness. You know, verse 13 it tells me that the lazy man is going to be a man who's good at making excuses. Man, he's got an answer for everything. Verse 14, it reminds me that the lazy man is going to be a guy that has a hard time getting out of bed. And, you know, I know that this is, it can be in reference to someone who sleeps all day. Maybe they take uh, too many naps. Not that all naps are bad. 
it's okay to take a nap uh, every once in a while. Believe you me, a 20-minute power nap. Uh, Warren Worsby said uh, sometimes that's the best thing a Christian can do. But, you know, not too much, obviously. But the main thing here we see is he's turning on, on his bed, and he's like he doesn't want to get out of bed probably in the morning when God is calling him to get up and seek me. God is calling him to get up and pray, get up and read the Bible, get up and go to work, get up and go look for a job. But here's this individual, um, good at making excuses, good at sleeping. And then verse 15 is an interesting verse. Notice again, it says, A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl, and it worries him to bring it back to his mouth. And that's a weird uh, verse. I mean, how can someone be so lazy? And at the end of the day, I, I think it can happen literally where you might go get some food and you might even cook it up, but you're too tired to eat it. But I was thinking about that verse over in Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. It says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, that if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And so there's that aspect that it's connected with the individual is so lazy at the end of the day, they really don't get any food. And I've told you guys many times that it's okay to help those who can't work, you feed them. But as far as those who won't work, Second Thessalonians says, hey, if they don't want to work, um, then they don't eat. And so I, I think like for a lot of people, the, the, the work ethic, it just comes naturally. Some of you guys, uh, it's just the way you're, you're wired. But I think for a lot of other people, you need to be reminded of that. Hey, that's too much television. Hey, that's too much time on the couch. Hey, that's too much time kicking back. I mean, there is so much work to be done around the house or in the church or in this world for the glory of God and the good of his people. And so let's not be lazy people. Verse 17, it says, He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. And so it's kind of cool reading this verse right here. You know, you might find yourself in a situation, and it's just kind of cool, just like the Lord will say, hey, before you jump right in, because you think you're the answer to everyone's problems, um, take a moment and pray. You want to make sure it's, it's the Lord leading you. I mean, if you can visualize like a, a dog uh, walking down the street, whatever, some type of Doberman pincher, a pit bull. Imagine if you try to grab it by the ears. I mean, that's like putting your face in their mouth almost, right? Uh, God is saying, you try to grab it by the ears, uh, you're going to get bit. And if you see this situation, this contention, and you, and you meddle in a quarrel that's not your own, then you're going to suffer the consequences as a result of that. You're going to cause unnecessary heartache to yourself because you're going somewhere that you did not belong. And it, in one sense, it, it kind of goes back to Psalm 32 in, in verse 8. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. There are some things that we should get involved in. That, you know, you're a friend or, or maybe you witness uh, someone on the side of the road and, and it's a legitimate you know, situation, or you see this uh, gal getting beat up by some guy, you know, we don't want to be one of those that just passes by saying, well, I've got nothing to do with that. I mean, God will show you uh, a lot of times. God does want us to get involved. But then uh, a lot of times I think we end up uh, meddling when we shouldn't meddle. 
You know, I was thinking about that story in Second Chronicles chapter 35. You can read it in verses 20 and 21, where basically the, the king of Egypt was going to war against Carchemish. And Josiah, the king of Judah, for whatever reason, he wanted a medal in the middle of that war. And the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, he said, hey, what are you doing? This has got nothing to do with you. You know, he was even under the assumption that God was leading him. But Josiah, for whatever reason, and he's a good king, he really was. He, he just thought, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of this. And apparently this is one of those times in his life where he did not pray about it because he wasn't led by God. And as a result of that, this great king, Josiah, who became king when he was only eight years old, he ended up dying as a result of that. And so for us, we have to always be led by the Lord. Verse 18, it says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. You know, when I, when I read this verse right here, I, I do uh, think of that passage over in Ephesians where it talks about how we have to be so careful of, of course, jesting. Uh, I'm to be honest. I, I love humor. I, I love laughing. I love uh, man the smiles and the joy of uh, that. And I believe God has created us to have a sense of humor. And so don't get me wrong. But a lot of times there are those you know they do deceptive things or they might you know uh, shoot these arrows. They might you know call you a name and and, and put you down. And they tell you, hey, I'm only joking, when in all reality, that word, it does damage. Look again at verse 18. It's like this madman who throws firebrands and arrows and, and even death. You know, the Bible talks about how our words, they're, they're like arrows. Our words are like weapons. And so you're, you know, putting someone down, you're calling them names, you're doing these things. And, you know, what you're doing is you're smashing them. You're, you're tearing them down. Ephesians 4 and verse 29, the Bible says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And so the corrupt word is where you're, you're, you're tearing them down, but the words that are edification, edifying, are the ones that, that build them up. And so be so careful. Don't be one of those who unfortunately says those things that they shouldn't say and tragically does. Because sometimes, man, those words, the tearing down, the smashing of our children or spouse or whoever it might be, it, it does damage uh, for a lifetime. Verse 20 says, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. And, you know, uh, you got a fire, you take out the wood, um, you don't feed the fire, uh, any of that fuel, uh, it, it dies. And what God is saying here is where, when there, what a difference it is in, in family and ministry and society if only we would stop telling tales, ganging up on people with gossip. And we'll talk more about this. Look at what it says in verse 21, as a charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost bodies. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. 
and he who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. And so verse 21 is similar to what we saw in verse 20. Here it's talking not just about you know the words that feed the fire, but the contention that does. And a lot of times what ends up happening is we can get into disagreements or arguments, and those things, they never end. You see that in sometimes gang warfare. Um, but it can happen in your own home. And what God is saying is, hey, just just let it go. You know, Stop the contentions and the arguments because at the end of the day, I think we all know that no one really wins those things. Now, verse 22, it talks not just about you know ceasing to speak those words of slander, um, but ceasing to listen to those words of slander and gossip. It says right here, the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, you know? And so someone is wanting to tell you the, the latest, the greatest, the, the juicy, juicy, right? And, um, you know, I remember recently we went to a restaurant and we had these uh, little pieces of sirloin steak and they were stuffed with like a blue cheese and they had this certain sauce on it and they were just so good. And I think in one sense, when it comes to the gossip, when it comes to, hey, have you heard about so-and-so, a lot of times, you know, our flesh just wants to feed off stuff like that. And so what God is saying right here is, man, that's the way it is. Uh, my encouragement to you is don't have an appetite for stuff like that because what ends up happening is if you listen, if you take it in, if that's the type of person you are, it says right here in verse 22 that they go down into the inmost body. And so someone tells you something about so-and-so, and you took it all in, and you, you just, man, with, with a you know, hook, line, and sinker, next thing you know, your perception of that individual is never the same. And so better, best bet is that if someone wants to say something negative or slander or backbite or gossip, you, know, you, just, put them, you just put a stop to it right there. And you just say, you know what? You wouldn't say that in front of them. I don't feel comfortable about this. And that would be so cool if we did not have an appetite for those things. Verse 23, again, fervent lips with a wicked heart. Think about that. The, the, the words are, are just right. There are these words that are fervent, but the heart is, is wicked. He says it's like earthenware. It's like this cracked clay pots. Those are the pieces of clay. But then it's covered with silver dross. And dross is actually the impure silver, but still it looks a little fancy. And God is saying that's what happens when you have that type of individual you know they the right words that kind of look good but inside uh, there's a lot going on there's a lot of people like that jesus dealt with individuals the pharisees in luke eleven thirty nine. the bible says the lord said to him now you pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness think about that if you had a cup at home for those of you who wash dishes and what if you never cleaned the inside? And, and you know, only the outside. It would be kind of gross and it would be very dirty over the days and weeks and months. 
And that's how some people are. It's all about the outside. It's all about uh, putting on a show. They're one way at church, and they're a completely different person at home. And what God is saying is just, hey, be really careful, stuff like that. We, we read next in verse 25, when he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. You know, I was thinking about that time in the book of Jeremiah when uh, Johanan, he, he warned Gedaliah about this individual named Ishmael who was coming to visit him. And Johannes said, this guy's not good. He is not good. As a matter of fact, uh, he took Gedaliah to the side and he said, he, he wants to take you down. Uh, let me kill him. Just let me kill him. And, and you know, Gedaliah, he said, no, I'm sure, you know, mellow out. Everything's fine. And what ended up happening, uh, sure enough, is Ishmael came and they had their dinner. They, you know, celebrated but after dinner, uh, Ishmael got up and the 10 guys that came with him and they took Gedaliah down and those that were with him, you know, and it, I don't know, it's, it reminds me of Hitler, to be honest with you. Adolf Hitler started speaking, you know, fervently, peacefully, and even Great Britain said, hey, we've got an agreement with this guy. Um, but what was going on in his heart was nothing but wickedness influenced by the devil. And so... I guess in one sense, we don't want to be those types of people who are, you know, dirty on the outside and the inside. But neither do we want to be um, those that are fooled by individuals like that. Because verse 26 says, eventually, these people will be exposed. Verse 27 says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him and so again you guys have heard uh, similar sayings uh, what goes around comes around uh, you do this to them jesus said don't judge them because the same judgment you use will be measured back to you um you know it reminds me of the story in the book of esther when haman he made the 75 foot gallows to hang mordecai on uh, but when god intervened what ended up happening was haman was the one that hung there on that gallows and died in those days uh, if you had a city on a hill which is where they wanted to build the cities more of an elevated area then you would take these big stones and if anyone ever tried to invade you then you would roll it down as a defense mechanism and so this is where we get actually the term rolling stones and for the most part right in situations like this that's genuinely legit and so all God is saying is, listen, eventually what's going to happen is if that's the way you are, understand that you got it planned for others, it's going to come back to bite you. And then we see in verse 28, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it and a flattering mouth works ruin. And a, a couple of things to think about in looking at this final verse a lying tongue it could be you talking bad things about someone behind their backs and in one sense you know that's a form of hatred it really is it's a hatred is a form of murder so make sure that you're not talking lies and crushing people with your conversation but but if you were to attach these two parts of the verse it says and a flattering mouth works ruin 
you know, maybe the lying tongue is in reference to the flatteries, you know, that we might give or someone might give us or we might, you know, tell our children over and over again how good they are, how good they are. We take a million pictures of them. We've only flattered them their whole life. We've never really corrected them. And what we see right here, because we didn't speak truth to them, that we ruin them. And so be careful of flattery when it comes in your direction. Um, I'm not saying that every compliment is, is from the devil, um, but you know sometimes uh, there are those who have that flattering tongue. Be careful with that, and then be careful that you don't do that yourself. What we want to do is we really just want in every way you know, to speak the truth in love. I love that passage in John 8, 31 through 32. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How much better is the truth than the lie? You know, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the fact that you know, because if we only flattered people, we told, oh, you're a good person. Um, no, they're not. No one is. Uh, if someone says, oh, you're so good. I'll finish the sentence. We're good for nothing, right? Apart from Christ, there's nothing in me that's good. Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth that, that, that they need Jesus, that we need Jesus. Tell them the truth about heaven and hell. Don't just flatter people. Don't just make them feel good. Tell them the truth. Because the Bible says it is the truth that sets us free. Because the truth is Jesus. And the truth is that when we discover that we're sinners in need of a Savior, it's only then that we come to Christ and we give Him our hearts. And so just in case anyone's out there uh, that needs to give their life to Jesus today, or maybe um, you need to rededicate your life to Him, the Lord's calling you and you know You've got one foot in and one foot out. You've been playing games with God. And, you know, God's brought you this far in this study. And if you made it this far, it's pretty amazing, man. And he's just telling you he loves you. He's just telling you, I got life for you. He's just telling you, you don't need to live a F-O-O-L life, that type of full life. I want to give you an F-U-L-L life, a full life. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and that may, they may have it more abundantly. God wants to bless, but you got to make sure that there is a moment in your life, a moment in time, where you truly, totally, unreservedly, abandonly, maybe just totally, completely, give your life to Jesus Christ.